0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We're coming into the middle of this story, like we know this story, right? We we know what's going on. Um, The seven years of abundance that the land of Egypt enjoyed came to an end, and the seven years of famine set in. Ra'av, right Hunger. Just as Joseph had foretold, there was famine in all the lands, but through and, but throughout the land of Egypt there was bread. So there's famine. Um, there had been famine around Egypt, but Egypt had known seven years of you know great crops for and that now comes to an end. Uh, h- how does Egypt get irrigated? The Nile. From, the Nile. from the Nile, so the yeah. Nile goes from Lower Egypt to Upper yeah. Egypt, right? So it flows, which is completely counterintuitive <laughs> to me. Um, yeah. So the the rain that falls in the Sudan, right? It then uh, it, it then comes down and. Comes down from the Blue Nile into the Nile, and that is what raises the level of the Nile, so that it then irrigates all the crops of Upper Egypt. It right? flows
0: north. Yes, that's what you said. Yes. Flows north.
1: Yeah? yeah, it flows. If I look at a map, it flows up, which is which makes me crazy. But I get it. That really the map needs to be flat, and you use a topographical. Map. I, I get it, but like you know, I'm a little linear sometimes. So, um, so so right. So from Low, so from, upper, from Lower Egypt, Upper Egypt is watered. In ancient times, we know already there was a very, very sophisticated system of irrigation that there was, um, and actually it went into the royal like, tax stuff, how much water you know, each kind of province got based on the level of the Nile. Right? So they would, they would measure the level of the Nile, and based on that, they would calculate how much each you know, surrounding place would get of water. So it was a very, very important um, thing how high the Nile was and how well um, those... It, they, they had a what's called a Nylometer. <laughs> wow. I do not You're make not this stuff up. up. A <laughs> Nylometer... <laughs> um, which would measure exactly like what was happening, and um, at strategic points they'd know exactly how much water there was, and that went into the royal um, yeah. annals. Right. Um, do, mean, do all the rivers below the equator flow north? Is it because no. of the, no. No. just the Nile?
0: Okay. I, I'm not. Well, major I, do we
1: know why? I mean, do we know what that's about? Topography, just altitude. It's probably areas. the altitude in Sudan. Did okay. the irrigation system involve aqueducts? Right. So there's there's lots of different ways you can carry water. But yes, it's a system of you know making sure the water comes off the Nile and goes out to so that you spread that water as far as possible in terms of crops. So that so we know when the Nile swells that everything right is groovy. Uh, what is how does Canaan get irrigated? rain so there is no relationship between a famine in Canaan and a famine in Egypt, Egypt. Mm-hmm. they are two different weather systems they are different, different. right there's a different thing at work um, and, bless you um, and so that that Torah conflates them right is interesting but it's they are unrelated in Egypt, we see, uh, actually, in in Egypt, yes, we see that there are several kings of Egypt or leaders of Egypt who brag that there was a famine in Egypt and they got grain to their people. So this story doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, we see uh, lots of issues about water, lots of issues about the Nile, um, and we also see, um, like, we have... Anktifi, the great chieftain of Nechen, who recorded a seven-year famine in which the entire south of Egypt is said to have died of hunger and people devoured their own children. Oh. Oh. So we've had that in Torah too, haven't we? Right? That that the one of the curses is that you will devour your right. own children. So this is clearly a motif that is referencing how terrible life conditions can get and what happens when you have war and displacement and famine and all of that. Um, He took pride in having foreseen the event caused by a low Nile. right? So they went to the Nilo (laughs) meter and said, wow, the Nilo meter is very low. That then means that further down, right, that, you know, that everybody out is not going to be getting the kind of water that they need to grow their crops, and so he, he had foreseen uh, the event caused by a low Nile, and then having been able to rush, gray, he took pride in that, and then being able to rush grain and loads of corn to various towns in order to alleviate the situation. So, right, so this is this is all over ancient Egyptian history. Um, but what's interesting is if you look at Mesopotamia we also have references to seven year periods of uh, drought so uh, in the Gilgamesh epic for, for example uh, the sky god Anu threatens that seven years of empty husks could occur right? if people don't get it together right? so that's a punishment that the god is going to bring seven years of empty husks um, and from Ugarit we also have um, a mention of Baal experiencing a seven year failure as the god of rain and thunder. So this is, this is not, this is a symbol that is absolutely part of the literature of the ancient world. What's going to make ours um, a little bit different, right, is that God gives Joseph the ability to see all of this and then presumably Joseph has the Sophistication and the wherewithal to figure out a plan, right? So our story always is going to reconstruct the local narratives to a be about God in some way, um, and uh, and it's it's opposite the pagan one that's coming to describe right a failure of one of their gods, right? We we can't have that, God forbid. Right, it there right so um, so always we, we we know a little bit about what to expect about how the Israelites are going to reconstruct those stories so this is not coming out of nowhere um, very much a part of the literature of the ancient world of the ancient Near East so let's look at this word for rations I'm so glad you're here Rita
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I miss it when you're not here. <laughs> We all do. <laughs> I can't point to you and say, for instance, what's the word for rations?
0: I wouldn't know it except I read the Jewish Journal today. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have known that one. Great. All right.
1: That's all right. Marvis Getting your Marvis. Judaism from another source now. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right.
1: So oh, all right, so we're getting the word for rations, right? My markers are not, they're underperforming. So this shoresh, right? What does this shoresh generally mean when we see shin, vet, resh? What do we usually think? Broken. Haha. The simple, the kal form of this word is break, right? So if we put it in pl, if we put it in the stronger form, we get shavar, and we talk then about um, smashing, shattering. So, we have, we have a couple of forms of this word. This is how most of us are used to seeing or understanding this word is about breaking, or if it's in the PL form, then it's about like really breaking, right? Like smashing to smithereens, shattering, right? Lijbo, to break. So, interesting that in our text, this means rations. What is the connection? Aviva Zorinberg brings the connection that rations is about shavarring hunger or thirst. Right? So if you're, there's a experience of hunger or thirst, if you break that, how do you break it? You break it with Ration. rations. So this is how she ties, and of course she's always basing herself on scholarly work before her. Um, I just quote her as the expert. Um. Alright, so interesting that this is the word and usually we see this as a shin, right? Shavar, (laughs) Lishbo.
0: Okay.
1: So all the world comes to Joseph and here we get a verb. Look at verse 57. The Choharitz and all the land, Ba'u Mitraima came to Egypt Lishbur El Yosef to right. Right. <laughs> so right Lishbur El Yosef right to to, to rationify Yosef <laughs> right so it's an indirect El Yosef they're doing it to Joseph what are they doing they are requesting rations but it's a very interesting it's a very interesting construction to have rations be a verb, right? They're, I don't know how to say that in English. You rations. would have to say request rations, <laughs> you know,
0: rationing.
1: Um, rationing. But you don't—you don't rationing something. You, you ration food. We have it as a verb that you that involves the actual rations. We don't have an English verb for no. coming to request rations of someone. No. That's how Hebrew turns. The noun rations into a verb.
0: Because the we don't have a word,
1: they, we have to have a bunch of English words because we don't have a word for what it means to come and request rations of someone. That's a yeah. lot of English the to get it one translate from any language. It, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you know, but I care about Hebrew. Yeah. So.
0: Could there be a sense here? When you ration something, you break it up. Mm-hmm. Right. So you've got a whole big thing. Yeah, that's rationing that is, yeah. is, is, is so breaking, breaking it up. into breaking it up into okay. pieces. Okay. Because when you first said that, that was where you the were. first thing that came into mind. It also see some to like break fast, break fast. Break
1: fast right. Oh, so right. you're breaking the fast. Yeah. Yeah. You're breaking the imposed fast, yeah. mm-hmm. the involuntary fast. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. So so those words have been used together for a long time, right? Breaking fast. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, let's look at 42.
0: Chapter 42. When Jacob saw that there were were food rations to be had in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at one another? Now I hear, he went on, that there are rations to be had in Egypt. Go down and procure rations for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to get grain rations in Egypt. For Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, since he feared that he might meet with disaster. Thus, the sons of Israel were among those who came to procure, procure rations, for the famine extended to the land of Canaan. Okay. So Yaakov sees what does he see? Yesh
1: shever Ryan. There's this. In Mitzrayim. Mm-hmm. By levanav, and he says, and Yaakov says to his sons, lama titra'u. So, so it's interesting. So, uh, Rita, tell me about this word at the end of verse one, titra'u. It's
0: like looking at each
1: other. So, something about looking, titra'u. It's kind of like, y'all are looking, but it's not, it's unclear what kind of looking. You could, I guess, translate it as looking at each other, like, Mm -hmm. you know, throwing up your hands, going, What are we going to do? And Jacob's like, Knock it off, you know, Mm -hmm. do something. Uh, Zornberg says it actually is about appearance. Why are you putting up appearances that everything's okay? Mm -hmm. Right? That it isn't about the act of looking, it's about the act of appearing. Um, Because if you look at the Hebrew form, it's less about. The verb to look, and it's more about the verb to appear. Vayera, right? teach why are y'all appearing? Well, we use that looking too for appearing. You're you're looking good, or you're you're looking happy today. You, you're looking, you're looking like you have it all together. Yeah, yeah. right. So relation <laughs> in this book is staring, however. Interesting. In the feminine book So. Um, you know grammar experts can fight it out Um, we get to leave it murky uh, and undecided we don't have to take a stand Um, but it makes some sense just kind of looking at the Hebrew form of it it makes some sense that it's kind of like why are you appearing you know meaning like you're appearing like everything's fine it's kind of the same same meanings implied like what are you sitting around for like this is terrible do something right come up with a plan Um, and so Jacob you know remember Jacob who is broken by the death of Yosef Um, here now comes back the patriarch like you know that we've seen the guy who acts the guy who has a plan the guy who is going to save everybody and build a fortune that's the Jacob we see for a moment here and we're going to study together a midrash Um, that's a very interesting midrash about exactly this we'll come back to it Um, so Yaakov says, I hear that there are rations to be had in Egypt. Right? Go down and get it, so that we may live and not die. So the ten brothers went down to get grain rations in Egypt. Why ten? Well,
0: Joseph was already there and Benjamin's not going. Benjamin
1: is not going. Why is Benjamin not going?
0: It's not yeah.
1: clear. Uh, it's not clear. Benjamin and, uh, and, and uh, Joseph are the only two sons of Rachel. So presumably, Jacob doesn't want something to happen to Benjamin. Benjamin. But it's interesting that the text says, right, Jacob did yeah. not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brother since he feared that he might meet um, with disaster. We, we We know that it's because he's... Joseph's only full brother. We know he's the only surviving, in Jacob's mind, the only surviving son of Rachel.
0: It's interesting that they're saying Jacob all the time. Jacob and his sons, when they get to um, going down, they suddenly say Joseph's brothers, not
1: Jacob's sons. And so it sort of links them. They must have, maybe that's why they were
0: staring at each other. They were scared to death, to death they might encounter Joseph so they bring up Joseph interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I find it interesting that he's called Jacob, Jacob, Jacob right. until 5 mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. thus mm-hmm. the sons of Israel were among those who came to procure mm-hmm. rations for the famine extended to the land of Cain right? mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. now when we're talking about going down to Egypt now it's the sons of Israel because the going down to Egypt is the beginning of the national story Right. it's Israel we're dealing with once we're dealing with them in Egypt, right? That's the beginning. This, this going down is the beginning of everything that then follows in terms of us coming. The next time we come out fully, um, right, with Joseph, right? It's, uh, as part of the Exodus, right? That when we are becoming a nation, when we're becoming a people.
0: And Jacob thought Joseph was dead. Correct.
1: Okay. Correct which um, which is, which is uh, okay I want to go there yeah but, which is interesting um, because he, when it says in the Torah text, Jacob when they show him the coat dipped in blood, um, he says Jacob says at that point it, the Torah says it's he Savar. He thought another iteration of this Shoresh, he thought that Joseph was dead. And this word "savar" to think, in this sense, is often about <coughs> thinking wrongly. So, right again, a nuance of Hebrew that we don't have so much in English. You would use a word to modify thought. She thought mistakenly, right? It's interesting. The Hebrew has a word that's about. I mean, maybe there's one in English. if I think long enough, but um, right. But the, like, it is to assume something that's that's not true. Misapprehend. There you go. Points for Laura. (laughs) And thank you for using apprehend. Thank you so much. I cannot tell you. I've used the word, you know, she didn't apprehend this. And people are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) That means to grab something. I'm like, it is to realize or to think think or to understand something. Thank you, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you mean? No, I don't. I mean to
0: apprehend, as in to understand. All right. So six... Now Joseph was the vizier of the land. It was he who dispensed rations to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed low to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he acted like a stranger toward them and spoke harshly to them. He asked them, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan, to procure food. For though Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Recalling the dreams that he had dreamed about them, Joseph said to them, You are spies, you've come to see the land in its nakedness. But they said to him, No, my Lord, truly your servants have come to procure food. We are all of us sons of the same man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. And he said to them, No, you have come to the land to see the land in its nakedness. And they replied, We, your servants, were twelve brothers, sons of a certain man in the land of Canaan. The younger, however, is now with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is just as I have told you, you are spies. By this you shall be put to the test. Unless your youngest brother comes here by Pharaoh, you shall not depart from this place. Let one of you go and bring your brother, while the rest of you remain confined, that your words may be put to the test whether there is truth in you. Else by Pharaoh you are nothing but spies." and he can find them in the guardhouse for three days Okay.
1: so they go down to Egypt what happened to Joseph what did they cause to have happen to Joseph
0: he went down to Egypt he went down to Egypt too how
1: did he go down to Egypt as a slave slave. Mm -hmm. with nothing how are they going down to Egypt
0: same way, because
1: Same way, what goes around comes, comes right on around, right? So they go down with nothing. They go down as beggars. I mean, they have, but it, what good does it? What good is it that you have, you know, six Hummers and three mansions if you can't, if you have no food or water or electricity going to it, right? Like they, they have, but they don't have, right? They have, but they're in desperate need. It, it's at the point of their. Jacob's talking about that we may live and we may not die. All right. Why do all of them have to go? How come one or two don't go and take care of this?
0: Huh? What? There's more like they're hostages. If it's rationed, what happens?
1: Split more ways. If it's rationed, it's rationed per capita. So you might be able to come get for your family, but you can't come get for all, all your cousins. If you've got 10 brothers and they all have children, that, th- those are all your cousins. You can't do that. If, if there's rations, you have to show up and personally beg from the vizier, of the, or the, actually his other title is seller of corn. So you have to go present yourself to the seller of corn as head of household. So all ten heads of household had to go down to procure rations for their families.
0: This is a little aside, but isn't ten also a pretty godly member of the and have ten for that Um
1: true? that's later. Kabbalah and stuff does stuff with ten later. Um they pull it from Torah because Eda, the first time we see the word Eda community used, it's used of the ten spies. So Oh, edah is used for the first time. Ten must mean edah. Ten must be the minimum you need for an edah, for a community. That's a rabbinic conflation. It's from the, it's from this yeah, it's from Torah. It's yeah, from the spies. Exodus. It's in the story of Exodus, right? When the scouts are sent story. out to scout the land. So when they come back, they're called an edah when they report to the people, a community. So they're, that's the only, that's the least number we see associated with any word about community. And so the rabbis say, then that must mean. You need a minimum of ten to have an A The rabbis apprehended that. They apprehended that from Torah. Whether they misapprehended or not is right, is irrelevant for them. They make that connection. Ten is a number of um, of a kind of y- unit. There is a recognition that ten is kind of a unit, but but ten here is not is it's twelve minus two here. Do, do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it's kind of the opposite like it's 10 is not the right number no. 10 are going down because 1 is being held back because of what was done to number 12 <laughs> or 11 right so um, all right. so Laura Question. It just sort of struck me when you're reading it
0: um, but I don't know if there's any significance how verse 11 when they say we are all of us sons of the same man as though it could include Joseph also we, you know, they're talking to him. Is there any? Uh, you can, does the Hebrew allow that? For the sense, that is a little irony. Sure, yeah, because
1: it's plural. It, it, it's just we plural. <laughs> right, right, um, speaking
0: to him in a way. Right. They're telling.
1: I think, you know, if anything, I think it's ironic. Right, right. I think just correct because I think really in the story, I know, I know you like. and That's fine. If you want to write the other version where they know it's him. But, but really the drama of the story is that he is fully Egyptianized and they have no idea that this is Joseph. Um, and, but, but, but then for the all-knowing narrator to say, we are all sons of the same man, it's kind, of cool. it's kind of cool, right? So that the narrator puts it that way, but I think that's only the omniscient narrator. They really don't, they do not recognize Joseph. Remember, he, he has an Egyptian name, He's been given an Egyptian name. We see later in the story that he's talking to them through an interpreter. Joseph is speaking Egyptian through an interpreter who's interpreting the Semitic language for Joseph. um, Who answers the interpreter in Egyptian. He has all of the trappings and garb of a very high-ranking Egyptian. Plus they thought he was a slave. Right. They, they had no they, reason to right. think that, they that. Really they would assume risen. he's he if he's slight. still alive. He's not, right. alive. he's not he's not having a great time. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And he's really grown up since they
1: and, and he was very young when he went down and he's now a full grown man. So all of those things together um, and it's so beautiful that he's in the position of knowing who they are. Who the, they that's are what who the whole story turns about, on: right. is that he recognizes them, and they, they don't know. recognize right. him. That is that is the whole pivot, right, on which the drama turns, and how he's going to use that. Mm-hmm. Oops. Um, all right, so. La, 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 la. Where were we?
0: But in, in again, the
1: translation
0: in the uh, woman's thing, it says they came to buy food. Yes. Which is a much different thing than coming for, begging for food, or that other words He doesn't
1: have to sell it to them. Egyptians are hungry. He doesn't have to sell his grain to Canaanites.
0: No, but if you come to buy, you're in a stronger, you think at least you're in a stronger position than if you come. Uh, the word beg it wasn't in the other book,
1: but what some word was used right so right so they're not destitute you know they have yeah. the means to pay but it's like being in russia and you have a lot of money to pay but there's nothing on the shelves yeah you know well, he, they have to go ask Jacob, uh, joseph to sell them some of egypt's grain right, so. while egyptians are starving yeah.
0: well true but but to your point i don't think the Egyptians were getting this grain free either. As I recall they were buying it too with what they had. Correct. Which was
1: it, it finally their land. Correct. <laughs> so they ended up. They, the whole thing was a was a big sale.
0: Money uh,
1: Yes. On behalf of the pharaoh. Yes. Who ended up with all the land and all yes. you know, everything. In and sets up the conditions. Greece for Israelite slavery. Joseph sets up the conditions for Israelite slavery. But we're not going to go there.
0: But the yeah. that Joseph is the one who recognizes his brothers, respects the tragedy of what happened to him when he was young, that he has certain memories that remain. And so he is the most sensitive and the most intelligent of all the brothers. Which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering how they got an audience with us. Right, well, clearly, I mean, you know, if, ten, if ten you have the and means... And all of a sudden, they're yeah. talking right? about big cheese here.
1: So they clearly have the means to come down and procure, and so the vizier is going to entertain the possibility. But he's also going to make sure that you're not coming to do any funny business yeah. in his... So we're keeping plan because he's not just the seller of grain. If he were just the seller of grain, that's all he would be dealing with. He accuses them of being spies, which means he has a higher position than the seller of grain. Right? His job is to protect the security of Egypt. That is a very high ranking. He's head of the CIA. He's at like he's he's up there at the top.
0: Is it possible that he uh, Joseph? instituted the rationing because he did
1: he did. he did we know he did okay. when, when he interprets Pharaoh's dreams Pharaoh says that you handle this and he gives him that signet ring and the big gold wrapper you know necklace and he says y- you handle it and Joseph sets up a whole system of rationing well,
0: that's got to be a great plus for whoever did it because
1: <laughs> for sure for sure but, but like Robert pointed out he didn't say bring all your good grain you know while the seven years of bumper crops are happening yes I'm very much influenced by the Broadway musical um, mm-hmm. seven years of bumper crops are on their way right so uh, the seven years of bumper crops I know every word don't even get me started um, the, we did it in fourth grade um, and so he he has them bring stuff and then he's going <laughs> to ration it back out But but like Robert said he sells it to them and he winds up having them sell their land to buy grain, thereby putting all of the land in Pharaoh's hands.
0: One of the subtexts here is that God is in the middle of this whole thing. Because when Joseph remembers his dream, which ostensibly came from God, it, there, there's a sense that there's a much bigger forces moving here than just these people. Mm-hmm. I don't have any um, uh, reason to know differently but is this motivation here that
1: he wants, that he wants to see Benjamin Does it
0: grow he, that? there's several is that motives here
1: there's several motives here but chief among them is they left Benjamin on purpose he knows why they left Benjamin he knows it's the only other son of Rachel he knows his father was bereft of him so he knows why Benjamin's been left behind. So he sets it up that they have to bring Benjamin down, and he's trying to see will they treat Benjamin the way they treated him? What will will they risk Benjamin? Right? And he sets Benjamin up. We're not at that part. That's not, that's next year's. You have to come next year for that part of the story. Um, job security. Uh, then, so he he sets Benjamin up. He puts his goblet, his own divining goblet, in Benjamin's sack and then sends them all home, right? He's going to send them home, but he's, he's planted something on Benjamin so that he can accuse Benjamin and say, for this he dies, and then see what the brothers do, right? So it's he sets up quite the, quite the drama here, yeah? But like I said, we're not going to get to that part. So what we are going to get to is this wonderful Midrash brought to us by the great Aviva Zornberg, her book is called The Beginning of Desire, okay? So when we think The Beginning of Desire, we tend to think about a spark of something good, right? And, and it is, but but she's going to quote someone who says, and this is where the title of her book comes from. Uh, her book is called The Beginning of Desire. That's what this is taken from. It's uh, her commentary on Genesis. How does she get that title? She gets that title from the quote, and I I forgot to write down the source. Not to have is the beginning of desire. Hmm. Not to have is the beginning of desire. She talks about, she quotes infant development specialists. I'm telling you, the woman, like, I think she remembers every. She must have a photographic memory. She quotes infant development specialists who say people who are constantly giving infants stuff Miss the point of development. The infant has to experience boredom and a lack so that out of that arises a desire for something. Oh, there's a shiny object, but until there's a lack, until there's boredom, if you keep giving the toddler, I uh, mean the infant stuff, they don't develop the missingness. That then drives them to fulfill their own longing their own desire for something wow that theory needs to come out more <laughs> right because you have to let them get bored and yes. let them start looking around to fill their own desire we don't allow infants to have desire we don't allow them to experience the beginning of desire because we don't allow them to experience lack and it is crippling yes. to development what did we see about? We are all sons of the same man, but one of us, what?
0: Yes. Huh? Is no more.
1: Is no more. But one. Enenu. Mm-hmm. Is not. Enenu. Uh, Aim means the there thing. isn't. Lack. Ain is lack. Ain, there isn't. If, you, if I say, if you say to me, Do you have some money I can borrow? I say, Ain. Ainly. Ainly I, I don't have any money. Ain Kelohenu. Ain Kelohenu. There is none like our Elohenu, yeah. our God. Right? Ain. So, and then Kabbalah becomes a huge deal. They're they're put against each other, yesh and ayin. There is and there isn't, right? Those are huge categories. Nothing, capital N, right? Becomes a huge idea in in Jewish mysticism. But but Zorberg is quoting the beginning of desire, the whole identity of Joseph. Her chapter is brilliant. Her chapter is on Joseph. She identifies Joseph's entire experience about being enenu, is notness, where is she? And she, huh? where, where does she live? She's British. Okay. Um, um, so she says Joseph is his whole experience is about enenu, and it's and it's echoed earlier by who? And I guess it's a patriarch. Abraham. Who was that? Isaac. Oh,
0: Isaac. Isaac,
1: who Sarah thinks in the midrash enenu is dead. Ah, in the midrash, yeah. remember, Satan comes and tells mm-hmm. Sarah, uh, "Your husband took your only kid and offered him as a sacrifice on the mountain." So, and then, and then we see Sarah, Sarah dies, right? So the midrash is saying it kills her. Mm-hmm. The belief that Yitzchak is gone, and then in some ways, Yitzchak. Is gone. Like, what happens to someone laying there with your father with the knife raised ready to kill you? Right? Something snaps, like something. Right? So, um, but Joseph is really paradigma- paradigmatically an He isn't. Okay. Let's look at page oh, uh, 301 of Zornberg, which. It looks I like this. Yes, it does. On the top right hand corner it says page three hundred. Yeah. A, yeah, a left left hand. Right so on the so on right, the right. Which mystery. I don't okay. know. All right. Look look at the right hand column of page mm-hmm. marked three hundred. Yes? Mm-hmm. Shever, sever. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay. The dialectical vision. We're gonna look at this midrash. She says a kind of twilight zone between despair and hope is evoked by the expressions of loss of not being, right? Enenu of not being in the narrative. Radically ambiguous, Enenu closes and opens avenues of speculation. Just this dialectical tension is the subject of a central midrash on the narrative. Here's the midrash. Jacob saw that there were food rations to be had in Egypt, right? That comes from our text that we just read. Happy is he Whose hope is in the Lord his God. What's the word for hope? Sever. So, they change change from a sin to a shin. Sever is hope, and shever is breaking or rations. But let's stay, let's put rations in parentheses. (laughs) Let's stay with sever is hope and chever is is stuff missing right because actually it's not in this case it's not break right that's that's where it derives from but but we decided sever was about there being a lack that has to be addressed right a broken condition in that sense something you know, that, that the whole condition is broken severely broken Life-threateningly broken.
0: All right. And in, in Torah, there's no dot, so the two words look identical. Co- correct. Absolutely
1: correct. And there's no vowels. So, so what are we? What is the midrash doing? The midrash is pulling a verse from Psalms. This is what the rabbis do. This is this is what they do all day. They sit in a yeshiva <laughs> and they do this all day. For them, this is love play. Okay. This is not because people often read this who don't know midrash and they read it and they go. Really, that, that is such a stretch. That's been said in here a few times. I'm just saying, um, that is such a stretch. They're not, they're stretching, but, but but they know they're stretching, but they're stretching out of love. These two words, if God gave them to us, they must be connected. How is the verse in Psalms where we see these same letters meaning hope? How is that connected to Genesis where those same letters mean? You know, rations, because people are starving. There has to be a connection. God loves us. It's our job to figure out what's God trying to tell us. And they played this game all day long. And if you've memorized all of these texts, right, and even you do it in here now, you're like, wait, 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 wait. Wasn't there something about that word in the creation there? Oh, yes, there was. So believe me, there's a Midrash. That connects them. All right? So if we can open our hearts and minds to just seeing this as loving play with Torah, yes, they're gonna stretch, but let's see what they do. It's like a game of twister. Is it normal? No. Is it fun? Yes. <laughs> for the most part. until the next day for some of us. Right. So they take the verse from Psalms, Happy is he whose hope, sever, is Adonai his God. Right? Okay, so that that's two. Here comes another pairing. Whatever he tears down cannot be rebuilt. When God destroyed the plan of the tribes, it was not rebuilt. Whomever he imprisons cannot be set free. These are the 10 tribes who traveled to and from Egypt and did not know that Joseph was alive. But to Jacob, it was revealed that Joseph was alive. To your reading, Laura, always. Jacob knew, according to the Midrash, that Joseph was alive. As it is said, you ready for this? Jacob saw that there was shever in Egypt. There was shever, brokenness, that is the famine. There was sever, hope, that is the plenty. There's famine, but there's also been plenty. There was shever, brokenness, quote, Joseph was taken down to Egypt, right? It broke Jacob's heart. There was sever, hope. Joseph became the ruler. There was sever, oh, sorry. There was sever, brokenness. They shall enslave and afflict them. And there was sever, hope. In the end, they shall go free with great wealth. All right, so the Midrash has taken three pairings of sever connected to sever. And it is a balance. Three three pairings of there's brokenness and there's hope, okay? She's not going to leave that alone, right? Turn, turn to the other side. Go down to the paragraph that says the relation of Shever to Sever. The relation of Shever to Sever, of brokenness to hope, is not, however, merely sequential. Jacob does not merely see an end to the suffering and a new phase of prosperity. Indeed, the historical order of the plenty and the famine does not allow of such an optimistic reading. The Midrash, in fact, reverses the order to adjust it to the conceptual scheme of brokenness and hope. In other words, to make that pairing work, there's brokenness, but there's hope, it said there's famine, but there were years of plenty. Well, that's not how it happened. The years of plenty came first. Then there was famine, but the Midrash is going to flip them. What Jacob sees is a dialectical vision of Shever slash Sever. When things fall apart, the opportunity for Sever arises. Before such a crisis, in a condition of wholeness and security, hope is irrelevant. After it, Some plausible reconstruction of the shards becomes essential. The beginning of desire. Hope, sever, is irrelevant when everything is fine. This is sever, the word for hope. The Midrash quotes this from Psalms. Uh, It's immediately related to the idea of shattering, of crisis. It is also related to the notion of thought, of plausible opinion. Svara, as we have noticed, because she's quoted it somewhere else, is a plausible interpretation. It is the conventional Talmudic expression for thinking, for speculation, ingenuity, in constructing a pleasing hypothesis. Thinking, I love where she goes. So, so part of this word we saw is about thinking, right? And we've talked about it can also mean thinking mistakenly, right? Thinking is an act of trust. There are no guarantees that one is right in one's interpretation. Savour is often used, in fact, to describe a mistaken opinion, as we have just seen Jacob Savar, that Joseph was dead. <laughs> to think, then, is to respond with a kind of courage to the evidence, the surfaces of reality. To hope, likewise, is to dare to trust the more cheerful facets of a shattered condition. To think is to trust. It's to take the surfaces of reality and be willing to risk interpreting. If thinking is a risk, what is sharing that in a room of 35 people? (laughs) (laughs) And this is what Jews do for fun. This is what we've always done. We sit around, we read, we think, we reflect, and then we share it out loud. We're going to let somebody else decide what they think about our interpretation of reality. That's crazy town. That's us. We're nuts. And we love this. And it's about leaning into hope. I... She made a connection for me that I never thought of. Why? Or why is this us? Because we've suffered so much. I believe. I mean, I don't know. I have to think it through a little bit more. But like, I, I got some instinctive connection that it's how we hoped. Does that make sense? She's making a that thinking is an act of trust, and then you're going to share that, right? And if that's your activity, isn't that a way of leaning into hope? And it's centuries to, old to keep risking and it's centuries old because that's our history we've needed to be hopeful because we've had to live into the more cheerful facets of, of a shattered condition forever as a people
0: there's a choice
1: yes we 100% would not be sitting in this room no If we hadn't done this, we would not be sitting in this room. Or we'd be sitting in this room doing something other than reading this text and applying it to how to live lives of righteousness and goodness and combat, right? So what Jacob sees then is the necessary relation between disaster and hope. He sees the condition of the bull. What's the bull? The pit. Right? That's happened a lot in our story, right? He sees the condition of the bull of emptiness disappearance, loss as generating a hopeful hypothesis the fundamental polarity of disaster and hope is thus expressed in the single word shevel, as the midrash reflects it the two concepts are related by an inner dialectic, they are simultaneous Mm -hmm. because without disaster hope is irrelevant you only have hope if there's a shattered condition They are simultaneous. This, the Midrash affirms, is what is, quote, revealed to Jacob. He must act on the basis of hope, of a vision of life in death. He may turn out to be mistaken, but that is the nature of the Shever world into which Joseph has disappeared. Not to have is the beginning of desire. That is so beautiful. Just saying. Um, And not only for a people, for an individual. And 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 what is the connection to Hanukkah? Not only for a people, but for the world.
0: Right.
1: We are called to live into hope, and hope is irrelevant unless it's dark. That Chanukiah, if you put it in a really bright place, doesn't do so much. You put that Hanukkiah in a place where it's really dark and right, and the light shines and it dispels a bunch of darkness. Light and dark, by the way, scientifically cannot, someone just told me this the other day, cannot exist in the same place at the same time. So lighting a menorah, lighting a Hanukkiah, you actually disallow darkness to exist in that space. When we live into hope, when we light just one little flame, we don't allow darkness to exist in that one little place. It may be everywhere else, but in that one place, it cannot exist. It becomes impossible. And that's when we're called to the light of the Hanukkiah, when it's darkest. Right, the darkest lunar month. Bert's heard this 35 times already this week. Um, It's the danger of like being too close to a rabbi around a holiday. Sorry, Um, we light the Hanukkah at the darkest lunar month. This is the darkest lunar month, right? Um, And when's the new moon? Is the last day of the month Mm -hmm. is the new moon? That's when the moon is darkest. Right, we're we're at day 25 when we start Hanukkah. We are moving in to the darkest moon of the year, the darkest month, the darkest moon. That's when we light the Hanukkah. Not when the light comes back. That is not Jewish people celebrating the return of the light, the birth of the sun, S O N, right? The return of the S U N. That is not Jewish. We don't wait for evidence. That the light's coming back. We don't wait Mm -hmm. to see it happen. We don't wait and say, "Oh, yay! Now it's here." That's not not what Jews do. Jews are about shever. We're about the world is dark. It is broken, and we are called every night to light another tiny flame of sefer, of hope. And when we do that night after night after night, we have a blazing Chanukiah that dispels an incredible amount of darkness and if that is not a message that we need right now in our time i don't know what is right it is easy to despair it is easy to get cynical and to say there's nothing i can do right that is the simple way to go but jews don't do it the easy way right we we just don't We believe we have to act. We don't wait for the light. We act. We light those flames. We create hope. That will eventually dispel darkness. But we have to do it over and over and over again.
0: It just occurred to me that the election in Alabama was the first night of Hanukkah. That was my Hanukkah present!
1: First night of Hanukkah present, the election in Alabama.
0: This This makes me think of the youth in the Warsaw Ghetto who were studying Hebrew and planning to go to Israel. And so their
1: teachers yes. who held classes every yeah. day
0: right.
1: as they sat freezing on the floor, starving. Yeah. Terrified. Teachers held classes every day and kept them on a schedule. And you were in trouble if you didn't show up. <laughs> because that's how we live into seven No matter what no matter how evil whatever it is we're facing is that's how we've survived is that we choose to live in together and how we do it generally is right thinking and sharing those thoughts they were just learning Hebrew they were learning Hebrew texts poetry like they were they were they were reflecting on things. And um, yes, they were being taught skills and, and all that as well, you know, how, the language itself and the mechanics of it, but they, re- being, they were being taught the, the language in which we think as Jews, the language with which we engage because they were raising kids to demonstrate what Zornberg calls the risk of thinking. Because yeah. what kind of courage that takes and those kind of circumstances is unbelievable but that's true courage and that's you know we don't celebrate the Maccabees so much we haven't talked about the Maccabees in forever right the rabbi said about the Maccabees who do you think has the whole story about them finding one cruise of oil who do you think that was Christians it's got a bitch. <laughs> that, was, that was the rabbis the rabbis wrote that midrash that's a midrash they came in, and there was one little crew they made up a myth they made up a myth because they didn 't want to be dealing with the Maccabees and the war and the guerrilla warfare first of all, they were living under Rome, so they mm-hmm. were right. they could not be celebrating a national holiday where you overthrow the ruling authorities and celebrate that right that 's just stupid right that 's just dangerous that 's dumb so they they didn 't they couldn 't on some level risk that, but on the other hand. They, that's not what they were about. They didn't really. Oh, yay! The Jews won. You know, we beat them up. We threw them out. It didn't resonate. What resonated was the reality the rabbis lived in, which is we are not in control. We don't have power. Rome has power, and Rome is horrible and filthy and corrupt and vicious, and the antithesis of everything Torah tells us we're supposed to build in a society. That's the reality they were living with. They needed that to be the same thing we needed to be, that Hanukkah. The rabbis lived in the world we live in. We had way more power than they did. But we live in the same reality they were confronting. They needed the stories to be about light and about hope and about lighting one cruise of oil. If you are gonna have an eight-day festival to rededicate the temple, if we just stop for one second, um, there was one cruise of oil. How long was it supposed to last? Why do you plan an eight-day festival when you don't have enough oil for eight days? (laughs) No one ever asks that question. It's like, it's it's so, but really? Because we've accepted the story. But really, why did they light one cruise? Why didn't they wait until there was enough oil to light the menorah for the entire eight days of the festival? Because it's a Jewish story. They didn't wait. They lit it, anyway. Seven. Seven. They lit one cruise anyway and it, th- and only in doing that, only in lighting it when there was zero evidence that that was a good idea. only in doing that was the miracle made possible. If they'd have waited, they would have had eight days. it would have been a festival whoop, whoop, let's let's remember the dedication of the de- okay but you don't create the possibility of miracles that way. The only way you open up an opportunity for something miraculous to happen is to light it anyway. So that's our job, right? To not wait until it's all copacetic to act. We have to act now when it's darkest. Um, And that is the way we open up the possibility of the miraculous occurring in this
0: world.